Good morning and good morning. Welcome to Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall on WBAI 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. Whether or not you're listening live or you're going to the archive to find this show later, if you're in the tri-state area of New York City or around the world, I say thank you for being alive, taking care of yourself, warding off this demon of a virus and the demons that we find human all around us, that you're here able to listen to this program, that you're a supporter of this radio station and all the good programs that are here, including this one. Law of the Land is here to empower and to inform Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall has been on for years, and today we are delving into two topics I think are very interesting. We're going to open the phone lines in some time, not right now, but we are going to open those phone lines. So be prepared at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877 as we go forward with these two topics. The first one, and I think the most important overall Yes, we're going to talk about the impeachment, but we're also going to talk about the fact that this is Black History Month. And the man behind the month is Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Say that out loud. Dr. Carter G. Woodson. He was born in Virginia in 1875, and he is an American historian. He's an author and a journalist. He's the founder of what we consider today Black History Month. This is a man who was the son of former slaves who had to keep ending his education to work and then come back to it. But he had a steadfastness, a perseverance, a dedication. This is a man born, as I said, in 1875, who was told that people of African descent and other people of color had no history. There was only European history. And so he set out to dedicate his life to ensure not only that he could research the glory and the treasure that is African and African-American history, but that he could teach this, that he could train other people to delve into um, what is considered black history. And you think the universality of the history of the Caribbean, of Christi history of the African continent, the diaspora, all those people, the diaspora of Africa, all those people from globalization during that time period of the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, when Africans were spread around the globe, that is true globalization. And that all of those people not only had the history of their time in Africa, but what they contributed intellectually and, of course, physically to the building of the cultures around the world. He wanted all of that to be known, to be recorded, to be uh, learned and, and taught. Um, he was someone, I think, that when you realize that what he was able to do he dedicated his life to it to the point where he did not marry. 
He did not have children. He said the work he was doing was so important that it wouldn't be fair to have a wife that he could not spend time with children he would have to ignore in order to stay focused on researching, writing about, and training people to to research, write, and learn about African history, Africana history, African-American history, black history. In 1915, he founded an organization that is now the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. For full disclosure, I'm a member of that board of ASALA, the African, um, in the core, the Africana, the Black History Corps is found in ASALA, the organization he founded in 1915, which was the study of Negro history and life at that time. And it was a big deal to, you know, refer to it as Negro history because, as I said, he was told that there was no such thing. He started Negro History Week in 1926. Negro History Week was it was decided it would be in February. He wanted it in February. People make jokes. Why is it the shortest month of the year? He chose February because February contained the birthdays of both President Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. And that's why he chose the month of February. In 1976, Negro History Week became Black History Month. And so we have been celebrating black history as a month since 1976. I also want you to know he's an author of over 30 books. As a matter of fact, his journal, the Journal of African American History, is published through the University of Chicago. And one of my articles on 1619 appears in the Journal of African American History, something that's still sustained to this day that he began in the early 1900s. Um, Woodson gained his bachelor's degree from Berea College, but he went on to attend the University of Chicago and became only the second black person in history to gain his doctorate from Harvard University. This and so much more we should know about this man. We should understand that his dedication allows us to have what we consider and what's been known now as the wealth of black history that continues to give and give. And so many people outside of people of color, so many white people have gained their PhDs, gained grants and and promotions and written books on the wealth that we find within black history. So it's not just something that we as people of color, we have descendants of, of, of people of African diaspora have gained in our empowerment and reading about this history. But something we need to understand is so important to the development of the world. And so when he died <clears throat> in 1950 um, in, in Washington, D.C., his house became a landmark. And to this day, his house continues to be a landmark and is part of the National Park Service. And so soon people will be able to visit his house. It's been restored. And he will um, be a part of, I hope, uh, any travel to Washington, D.C. area. 
The Miseducation of the Negro is the book he's most famous for. The Miseducation of the Negro speaks of the fact that too many people of color, especially African Americans, once they gain a foothold in the economy, once they see themselves as being educated and of that educated um, middle class, they turn their backs on the rest of the community. And one thing he wanted people to understand is the education that we receive is a tool. It was not meant to be a hammer, to hammer down on the heads of the other people in the community. It was meant to be a tool of empowerment, a tool that will help the community rise up and continue to rise up. As we talk about standing on the shoulders of so many other people, you're standing on those shoulders so that you can rise and climb and bring other people with you. You're not standing on your those shoulders with cleats on the bottom of your shoes, sticking knives and, and scorn into those people people who haven't yet risen up. I've seen too many people who have come from um, um, public housing, come from places of, of, of deep poverty, come from countries of deep poverty, come to the United States without having any sense of the contributions of African Americans that have allowed you to come into this country, gain wealth, gain position, gain prestige, and once that is gained, turn around and disparage African Americans who have struggled and forced their way through the lines of oppression you would never know from coming from outside of this country and the lies and propaganda that you've been fed. And then you come here and so many people come into this country and then decide that they're better than other people because they've come from um, um, countries in Africa or coming from the Caribbean island. And they believe that they're somehow better than African-Americans because now they've gained an education. But once again, whatever you've gained in this country, you've gained whether or not you're a person of color or an immigrant from from other places you've gained because African-Americans gave their lives and livelihoods. And if you would only read history, you would know the true background of this country, which leads me into the impeachment trials. Today, we are into the second impeachment of Donald Trump. This is what you now see when you think of these people who stormed the Capitol looked for people to kill, could not find the Congress people to kill, tore up the place, took souvenirs, took pictures of themselves doing this in broad daylight, and then left and decided they would get, in their minds, no consequence, no criminal consequence for this action believe that they were doing what they were supposed to do because they have been doing this in this country for hundreds of years. The over-persecution and prosecution, criminalization of people of color, of immigrants in this country, and the under-criminalization, the under-prosecution of whites in this country. This is the confidence that you saw on January 6th that would lead these thousands of people to attack the Capitol, to beat up Capitol Police. This is also the duplicity you see in some police officers who have walked up to these people, shook their hands, took selfies with them, told them to have a good day and turned and walked away. Some of those Capitol Police officers should also be the ones who are co-conspirators and they also should be the ones arrested because what they committed was a crime. 
when they were uh, part of the conspiracy to assist these people in finding out the uh, offices of particular politicians and not arresting people and, and actually acting in complicity with these people who attacked the Capitol. I am going to speak to this second impeachment but I also want to speak to the constitutional crisis that arose throughout the four years of Donald Trump, who believed as president of the United States, there were no restrictions on his powers. When in 1787, the framers of the Constitution made clear they did not want another king, nor did they want a dictator. As much as I heard the complaints against President Barack Obama that he was acting as a king, and yet the the hypocrisy that we see once again is part of American history. The hypocrisy of those people who would, as politicians even today, not condemn and convict Donald Trump for leading this insurrection on January 6th, but go back to the politicization of whiteness and white privilege that says we don't want to convict our own. We are not going to hold our own accountable. We do not want those people who committed crimes in front of the world to actually have any criminal consequences. These lynch mobs, as you saw a gallows that was constructed on the grounds of the Capitol, a gallows, a hanging noose on the grounds of the Capitol. We witnessed this tear gas beating of the guards who were there in the Capitol Police, the attack looking like animals, like savages. They go through the Capitol looking for people to murder. This is what has been a part of American history. This is what, as immigrants to this country, you have been spared. Over 5,000 people have been killed in this country in mobs just like that. Most of them African-Americans, women, men and children torn from their homes or taken from the streets, burned alive, pieces of their body cut off and sold, pictures taken of all of these things, those lynch mobs, just as the ones you witnessed. And yet people come to this country and you think you want to believe the propaganda of liberty for all? It's only because you want to believe this propaganda. And as Dr. Woodson has shown through his example as an historian and has said, when you, and I quote, when you control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions, end quote. That is a quote from Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the father of black history. This year, the theme for black history, which is set by the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. Each year it sets a theme. The theme for this year is the black family. Representation, identity, and diversity. The black family. Representation, identity, and diversity. Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the father of Black History Month a graduate of Harvard University, the second black man to graduate from Harvard University with a doctorate, did not turn his back on the black community. He did not embrace the nonsense of what is this lie of white superiority. It's through violence and law, violence and law, that this country has been allowed to not just oppress people, 
poor people, poor whites, as well as immigrants, other people of color, oppress people through violence and law. But what we're going to see as this impeachment trial goes forward, you're going to see the true hypocrisy of the United States of America. And this is a country that purports to be about liberty and freedom, but there are different levels of liberty and freedom. And for people to actually incite a riot and then say, oh, it's the same as Black Lives Matter. If that had been Black Lives Matter, if that had been the protest for immigrant rights, you would have seen hundreds of bodies lying dead on the street because they would have been slaughtered. Those people holding guns who refused to fire, they refused to shoot any of these people except one as they themselves were being beaten. That is the mind control. They can, can control the actions of even those white police officers and the black ones as well on, on Capitol Hill. The mindset, you don't hurt another white person, but you can kill a person of color and then say you feared for your life. And in this instance, we witnessed them fear for their life and still they did not pull the trigger. So they know how to not pull the trigger, but they know they can get away with it when they kill people of color. This is the hypocrisy that we are witnessing with this trial, where Republicans have already decided ahead of time, no matter what the evidence is, no matter what they actually witnessed, they are not going to allow Donald Trump to be convicted. What we're watching here is in this instance in which we need 67 senators to actually find Donald Trump guilty of what we all witnessed inciting a riot inciting an insurrection and telling people to go to the Capitol to tear it down, tear, telling them to go to the Capitol and fight and show their strength. That's what he is saying. That's what he did say. And that's what the evidence shows. And I'd like to, to add this part. When we hear, and you're going to hear the words of Donald Trump in a moment again, and I really, you know, go back and forth about even playing this, but I think we need to actually hear it. We need to also question what is the role of legal counsel? If lawyers tell someone to commit a crime, does that mean that the person who commits the crime, the client, in this case, Giuliani, Rudolph Giuliani telling people to go commit these crimes is uh, Donald Trump's other attorneys telling him that it's okay for him to continue to say that this the election was stolen when it was not stolen for this lie to continue that leads to the incitement and to have people actually become so I guess um, blinded by their political fervor and, and hatred that they would actually commit this crime and then go back to their hotels, get back into their trains and planes and automobiles and go back home and pretend like they didn't just commit a crime. If these people ransacked your home and then tore it to pieces looking for you to kill and then couldn't find you and left and went home, is there no crime? Is there no punishment? Is there no telling of the truth in these instances in which your home is ransacked? I want you to think about how anybody would look at law from this perspective, that there are two tiers here, one tier for white America and what they're able to do and the prosecutors who allow them to do it. 
and another tier for the rest of us. One tier for law enforcement to do what they want to do when they want to do it and not have any criminal accountability and another tier for civilians that we lift certain people up on a pedestal and put them beyond reproach no matter how devious and demonic their actions are and other people are assumed to be devious and demonic and can be gunned down and later on there's nothing to show what exactly happened except the word of the law enforcement or or for other people who took their lives how can the same actions on civilian on civilian crimes be used in ways to say that certain people have criminal instincts are seen to be criminal by nature and the same crime taking place over hundreds of years by law enforcement that began as slave catchers and went to be bounty hunters and then night riders that were never ever in our history of this country looked at the roots of the the racism that's in our criminal justice system to to try to clean up reform transform make new in some way actually deal with our disparity race-based disparity in our criminal justice system the evidence that we have in this particular impeachment hearing clearly shows the racial disparity in our criminal justice system when we come back from listening to a few minutes of donald trump we'll open up those phone lines 212-209-2877 the evidence will be shown and has been shown many times before. I present it to you in just a few minutes, not the whole thing because I cannot stomach but so much of this, to hear the, the words of someone who is saying, and just think, if this was your house, and they're saying, go to your house, do these things to your house, do these things to, the, to you within your house, as President of the United States, to go destroy Go fight, go tear down. We'll hear this and then we'll be back. We're gathered together in the heart of our nation's capital for one very, very basic and simple reason, to save our democracy. We have hundreds of thousands of people here and I just want them to be recognized by the fake news media. Turn your cameras, please and show what's really happening out here because these people are not going to take it any longer because you'll never take back our country with weakness you have to show strength and you have to be strong we will never give up we will never concede it doesn't happen you don't concede when there's theft involved our country has had enough we will not take it anymore. We will stop the steal. We will not let them silence your voices. We're not going to let it happen. They've used the pandemic as a way of defrauding the people. We want to go back and we want to get this right because we're going to have somebody in there that should not be in there and our country will be destroyed and we're not going to stand for that. For years, Democrats have gotten away with election fraud. Republicans are constantly fighting like a boxer with his hands tied behind his back. It's like a boxer. 
And we want to be so nice. We want to be so respectful of everybody, including bad people. And we're going to have to fight much harder. But just remember this. You're stronger. You're smarter. You've got more going than anybody. And they try and demean everybody having to do with us. And you're the real people. You're the people that built this nation. You have to get your people to fight. And if they don't fight, we have to primary the hell out of the ones that don't fight. And our election was so corrupt that in the history of this country, we've never seen anything like it. Why wouldn't they let us verify signatures in Fulton County, which is known for being very corrupt? They won't do it. They go to some other county where you would live. I said, that's not the problem. The problem is Fulton County, home of Stacey Abrams. You know what the world says about us now? They said, we don't have free and fair elections. And you know what else? We don't have a free and fair press. Our media is not free. It's not fair. It suppresses thought. It suppresses speech. And it's become the enemy of the people. It's become the enemy of the people. It's, a, it's the biggest problem we have in this country. We will not be intimidated into accepting the hoaxes and the lies that we've been forced to believe. So you can listen to more of Donald Trump's speech on January 6th. The reason why it was January 6th, to refresh your memory, because that's when they were counting the electoral votes, and that's when those votes were going to be certified by Mike Pence as Vice President of the United States to indicate that Joseph Biden had won the presidency of the United States and Kamala Harris was vice president. And that's why this rally was taking place. People knew this rally was coming. I knew this rally was coming. And yet the Capitol Police were not in full force the way they were when Black Lives Matter held rallies, not on the Capitol, but on the streets um, away from the Capitol by the, the White House when they held their rally. And yet at the same time, you had many more people who were around the, the Capitol um, when Black Lives Matters marched, when they had um, protests um, to um, focus on uh, the immigration reform measures that Congress needed to pass or needs to pass. Um, you saw many more enforced during that time period, and yet you had such a lack of, of protection for the Capitol, knowing that these people were coming, that they had been called in, they had been organized to come. You saw them bashing in the windows of the Capitol, knocking down the Capitol Police. You saw them um, sending, throwing their own tear gas grenades into the Capitol with sticks and stones and knives and guns, and yet we have people who are Republican senators who believe that this is equal to Black Lives Matter. This is the difference we have in this world and what in this country and what is allowed by certain people. This is what you see before you. Are you blind to it? This is what I, I don't understand. What is the rationalization that would allow something to happen in this way? And yet we want to turn our backs. And I know it's, it's difficult to watch, but we cannot turn our backs. I want to look at um, the ways in which and, and examine the ways in which we have two different legal systems in play here. 
two different legal systems that have always been in play. And until we have national criminal justice reform, we'll continue to have a legal system that um, unfortunately does not allow us to trust it, where people can have the bully pulpit and be allowed to continue to our legal system by not doing their jobs. And if we have that from the top down, then we are in a position of vulnerability because whom do we call? We are told we must call the police, but these police departments, unions around the country are so powerful. They're the ones who supported Donald Trump. We don't know who within the police department we can trust. Will it be officer friendly or officer deadly who arrives when we call for help? I know I uh, am, am concerned about who within the police department is actually someone we can trust and how many people of color, how many other people in the police department are fearful of those in the police department, but because of this blue line won't say who are the people they know who are outright racist, who are hiding it. Oh, I, we don't know until something happens and a loved one is injured or dead. We're going to take our first call after this musical break. We have people waiting. I know you are. And our second half of the show is all about you. All about you and taking your calls. On 2-209-2877. I want to hear about you and the impeachment. I want to hear about whether or not you think we should have an impeachment. And if you don't think we should, why not? And I want you, you know, on this show, we have all smart people here. We have people who are really thoughtful on these issues. So I want you to tell me if you believe this impeachment is a so-called hoax, which, of course, I would have to argue it is not and is quite necessary, then please let us know why you believe this. Don't just make the statement and think that's going to be enough. We'll be right back after this musical break. Yes, there has to be a reckon reckoning. There has to be criminal consequences. There has to be a big payback. Get back. I need some get back. 
back james brown summed it up very well it's the big payback and that's what impeachment number two is you cannot incite an insurrection tell people you're going with them to the capitol to show your fight for so-called your sense of democracy tear up the capitol look for people to try to kill and then say there should be no consequence to it. That is not um, in under any sense of law or order what we should allow in this country or any country. You're on Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. Good morning. Yes. Yes. Hi. Good, good morning, Ms. J. Brown Marshall. Um, yes, I, I actually, this, my name is James, James Bryan, if that's important. Um, Mistaken for James Brown <laughs> several times, <laughs> but um, I, I actually went to um, to Stuyvesant High School several decades ago, and um, interacted with um, you know many of the, the folks, the credentialed folks who um, you know um, sort of populate the Federalist Society and um, people who should know better and um, support this this kind of politics, and. Uh, well, um, you know, very interestingly, I mean, this is prima facie, just to use a, a, a $100 word. Um, very sedition, much so. Very much so. It, it, it's sedition and actually, you know, totally against the, the Constitution. This is a high crime by the former resident of, of the White House. And, you know, where you have ex-military who take an oath to the, to the Constitution, um, but it, it, there seems to be a um, there seems to be a, a white supremacist um, reading disorder. I, I wouldn't um, insult those with dyslexia to use that to, to use that term. But when they do the so-called plain read of the Constitution, they, where where um, you know where people who are right-minded see we the people, they see we people. And so, of course, they, they see themselves as exceptional. Of, of, I mean, this, the, the Constitution was con- constructed as a slave constitution. That's just, that's just a matter of fact. So, of course, they see a distinction and, and ex- an exception for themselves. And as I said, it doesn't matter whether, whether many of them are credentialed. I, 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 so I went to school, as, as I said, with, with many folks who, you know, um, subsequently derived, you know, um, achieved all sorts of, um, you know, so, so-called top um, credentials and, 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 um, you know, and, and awards and so forth. But, you know, it, it doesn't seem to matter in this case. As I said, their, their plain read is, is something totally different <laughs> than the than people who, who um, could, could actually, can, can actually read plain English. So, uh, you know what? What really upsets me is that, you know, they said like um, FDNY members 
were 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 found found to be in attendance. You have NYPD. Um, I'm sure, in some sense, they were warned to 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 not directly be involved, but um, at rank and file certainly supported these events. And you know, really, the the union as well, in in some way, was tacitly um, supportive. So it's just very interesting that that the government they supported was totally against getting direct financial support to New York, New York City, and our you know our city is is going into bankruptcy, and yet we have to dig and find money to go and pay these people's bank you know um, payroll. I, you know I I say that 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 payroll should probably be sent to Mar-a-Lago or wherever whatever sand pit this joker is, 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 is existing in and, and let him deal with it. Because the joke is, is that, you know, this clown is, is, is famous for not paying his workers. So I would love to see them try to go into court to try and get their funds from this, this, from this joker that they, 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 they lord and, 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 and bow to. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going to say something well, unkind in a moment. If I keep talking. Well, I thank you so much for calling in. And I and I thank you also for for touching on the the fact that um, when we look at what the president's oath of office is, the president swears to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And, you know, what we're looking at now is someone who did not even read the Constitution of the United States to know what his job description was, but to say that he believed he had no limits on his power. So we we, we really have to think about those who profess to, to believe in law and order. Did you see law and order on January 6th? What is your definition of law and order? And this is the hypocrisy of the criminal justice system, of those people who will stop a kid for not having on a mask, but still support an insurrection and attack on the Capitol. These are the things that I, I, I think about that, that frighten me in certain ways and give me such pause of, for concern when it comes to our criminal justice system. Because national criminal justice reform is necessary. Even if we say police officers, we are now going to change the standard by which you can use deadly force or you can use force at all. If the prosecutors are not going to prosecute the police officers who decide to ignore the legal standard or at least force the police officers to tell us in a court of law under oath why they chose to use force. If we're not going to know this information so that we can have a better sense of accountability through our prosecutor's office, then we're not going to have the type of change in criminal justice that we need. And if from the very top we have people who are not going to hold accountable someone who is going to tell people to go down to the Capitol and show force against those inside who are so-called stealing the election, then what force do we have of law? What respect should we have for law enforcement? And then that's why you have the gun law enforcement. You have the billy club. You have the taser. You've been given all this militaristic arsenal against civilians and you still want the respect. And that's the thing. In order, and I know people go into law enforcement who go into law enforcement in order to help people. 
something happens once they get in, but I know there are too many of them who are going in for the right reasons. So we'll go to our next caller. Um, we still have time for another call. Um, you're on Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. Hey, good morning. Um, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm, anyway, my name's Arthur, and I thought I'd throw my two cents in like everyone else. Um, first thing I, I wanted to say is uh, do I, f I think we're going by the impeachment, we're going in the right direction. Do I expect anything? No. Not really. I mean, even if he is impeached, we're living in a country now where uh, there's a certain there's amount of people who have been gas lit for so long. I mean, they believe they drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Let's just say it. They believe that they are uh, have been hurt and every everyone's out to, you know, to get them. And they come up with these expressions you hear all the time, the culture. You you know what I mean the cancel the cancel culture and stuff like that I knock something over and um, it's just uh, you can't really talk to them and do you you know so they're going to believe what they're going to believe and they're going to pretty much try to gaslight the rest of us what we saw of course was 100% uh, wrong had it been done by a Democrat particularly Obama. They, the same people who are defending Trump would be, you know, they would their their hair would be on fire on Fox and every other station you could you that would put a camera in from in front of them. It also what I watched too, I thought of was because uh, you're watching a lot of let's face it, there are some white men whose feeling is that my world is slipping away from me. And this guy represents me. And a lot of them are in law enforcement. You, if, um, you know, a lot of us know that. There was a very good documentary on last night on Channel 13, Women in Blue, where they showed you that there were, you know, in Milwaukee, this, it was filled with white men who pretty much ran the show. And even when there was a black man in charge, you still, you know, under him. Were, were a lot of the guys, and a lot of them was still, were pretty much good old boys, and they have this mentality, and it's, it stays with them, and that's one of the reasons why when you saw uh, looked at his administration as opposed to the administration you have now, it was as white as when Eisenhower Kennedy was in charge. I looked at it, and, I, and it, you know, it, 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 I looked at that. And I also thought of, too, uh, what's known as white, um, there is a, such a thing as white privilege. And what I mean by, and it hurts everyone, whether they want to admit it or not. I saw that and I thought of 9-11. And, and I don't know if you remember, but Channel 4 had a thing on a few weeks, and back in 2001 after it happened, NBC interviewed some people in a neighborhood where some of the terrorists lived. It was a mostly white neighborhood. They lived in this house. And the, uh, some of the people were talking about, well, they seemed like nice people, and they were very... And I remember thinking to myself, four young men who never went to work, and then they had money to do this, you know, to learn how to fly planes, 
had that been my son, my nephews, or something, I'm sure you would have called the police saying, I think there are drug dealers living next door, no matter how cute you thought they were. So it, I, I you know, I, like well, I said, Arthur, I just, let I, me, okay, Arthur, let I'm, me just, um, in, in, in the end, what I want, I thank you so much for sharing that, but going back to the drinking of the Kool-Aid, um, and I know we're down to 30 seconds, if there is someone who's listening to this program who does believe their country has been taken from them because this is supposed to be a white country and they feel they don't have the control that white people used to have that was not earned, please, not through a legitimacy. Um, it was earned, it was taken in a way, not earned. And the reason why I say that it's not that people didn't work hard. They did. However, because there were racial laws in place that undermine the competition of so many other people of color, it allowed whites to have more because of law and violence that kept this uneven competition going on and these restraints on what people of color could do. What would you say in, the, say in 20 seconds, if you could tell us, to these people who may be listening or may have relatives and they're listening, it's like, that's my uncle, he's one who drank the Kool-Aid. What do you say to people who drank the Kool-Aid? What do you say when you're, you're sharing a country and they believe the country belongs to them, and if they don't have full reign over it, they're being cheated. <laughs> it, it, I would tell them pretty much what you just you just said. The reason why Daddy had it so well back in 1959 was because of what you just said, because it was geared so that if a black person or, or Hispanic or whatever came toward the job, they were told no. It was fact-told if a woman, a certain amount of women came there we have our limit thank you very much it was you know it was geared towards them but you you got people who that you you said it you got people who pretty much as opposed to coming into what is happening now and what is new and what is fair for all want to go back to a 1959 television i'll just put it like that they think the world was a better place and i i think you summed it up very well thank you author this is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. We've been talking about Black History Month and Dr. Carter G. Woodson, as well as the impeachment and showing the the ways in which people believed um, earlier that that's the way the world was supposed to be, that they, everything was fair and good and right, and the in, inequality was put in place and not understanding how the inequality played a role to make it appear as though, even through the, the, the idea of, in, of, of immigration, that there were limits on the people of color who could come into this country to create a so-called white country, to create a white power system, to make this country appear to be one in which whites should have the biggest piece of the pie always. And now we're in a situation in which those legal and violent restraints have been taken away somewhat and people believe that they're being cheated out of what they felt was always supposed to be theirs. So how do we reconcile that going into the future? And this impeachment hearing is symbolic of that, of those people who still want to maintain that inequality, unnatural, superior position. Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall is here to inform and to empower, to 
increase our awareness about the law and how the law plays a role in our day-to-day lives. And I hope we're able to do that in some way on WBAI. We try really hard. We know that it's difficult now, but if you can become a WBAI buddy, please, we appreciate it. And that pledge number is 516-620-3602. If you want to pledge to become a BAI buddy for $35, it's 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. We have given you a show that's filled with what we believe is empowering, is something that you need to think about, that thought process. We're not just giving you Kool-Aid to drink. We're giving you thought for the mind. We're giving you something that should inspire you to be more active in your own life. We're hoping that through WBAI and the fact that we've been on the air for years and years, we're a trusted source and resource for you. And you can continue to have WBAI If you can support us, once again, we'd appreciate it at 516-620-3602. Or go online and look at the website, WBAI.org. And if you want, and I like the coffee mug, you could get the coffee mug. And that way you're supporting WBAI and you have a coffee mug that we can drink our tea and coffee on Tuesday mornings as you listen to WBAI. And we can drink that together and have a sense of community despite the fact that we are separated by so many things, by time and by energy, by a pandemic that has taken so many lives. But as long as we're here, we're able to go forward and make the world a better place one step at a time, even if it's just an amount of kindness we show each other, one act of unadulterated kindness. Let's see how far that takes us today. So until we meet again, I want you to know that I do have a new book out, She Took Justice, The Black Woman, Law, and Power. She Took Justice, The Black Woman, Law, and Power. And I also have a play. This is a virtual stage reading. It's a Zoom reading of my play, Shot, Caught a Soul. Go online. It's available for you to watch and share with others. It's only 29 minutes long, but I think it's worth your seeing. Shot, Caught a Soul. It's actually on the WBAI website. Shot, Caught a Soul. Shot is about a black teenager haunting the officer who killed him. This is my artistic work around this issue of police-involved civilian deaths. Over a thousand people killed by police officers each year. We've got to change. We've got to have national criminal justice reform. Shot is a play that I hope you will watch, that you'll pass around to many people, show in your schools, show online, Have discussions about it, and I will have a discussion coming up this month. There will be discussions that I have showing of the um, virtual stage reading of SHOT and actually have Q&As after it. So that's coming up. I'll put it on the WBAI website as well so that you can join us for those discussions. All of this I ask and, and say, please take care of yourself. And if you're still wearing the same clothes you had on last week, I think it might be time to make a change. However, I look forward to seeing you. And thank you, Michael G. Each and every one of you, I want to see you 
the sky, you know how I feel. On the radio.